0: Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is March 21st, 2017, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Diazepam, Won't Get Back Pain Down. And our guest skeptic today is Dr. Anand Nathan. Swami is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at NYU Bellevue Hospital in the Department of Emergency Medicine. He is also part of Rebel EM. The Teaching Course, and
1: Core EM. Welcome back to the SGM, Swami. Hey, Ken. It's great to be here. It's uh, it's been a while since we got to record one of these, so I'm I'm pretty excited. And, And we talked about this a little bit before. I love the song you picked because it's one of the first albums I ever bought with my own money. So it holds a very special place in my heart.
0: Oh, maybe that's something we should send out on the Twitterverse. What was the first album you ever owned? My first one was The Wall by Pink Floyd. You know, it'd be interesting to see what the s had as a first album. Plus, you can get some really embarrassing album titles, which is going to be fun. Well, and the other thing is po- some people who are listening might go, w- w- what's an album? Um,
1: uh, <laughs> I had what a-
0: MP3 did I download first? Yeah, yeah exactly. What was the first <laughs> MP3? I, uh, we're, we're
1: identifying a generation gap. Let's move on. Give me a case. All right. So the case that we've got today, Ken, is a 43-year-old woman who presents with an acute onset of back pain. She states that she was carrying some heavy boxes when she slipped, and while she didn't fall, she definitely felt her back wrench. There are no back pain red flags on your history and physical examination, and after some treatment with an NSAID and a dose of morphine, the patient is markedly improved. Now, she still does have some pain, and she's got a little bit of difficulty walking, and you notice that she's got some difficulty bending over, so she's definitely got some continued discomfort. But she tells you it's late, and she definitely wants to get home you consider whether you should discharge her home with a short course of diazepam to help improve her functionality. Well, Swami, you
0: know low back pain is an extremely common presentation to U.S. emergency departments. In fact, it represents 2.4% or 2.7 million visits annually. And the vast majority of these presentations are benign etiologies, but can be time-consuming and frustrating for both
1: patients and physicians. Yeah, physician frustration can really revolve around a number of different issues. Managing the acute, non-traumatic, low back pain patient gives you this preoccupation with finding the rare, dangerous ones, right? You said most of them are benign, but every once in a while, you're going to run across an epidural abscess or osteomyelitis or a pathologic fracture, and you don't want to miss that stuff. On the other side of it, there are patient demands as well. A lot of patients come in thinking that they should get imaging, whether it be x-ray or MRI or CT scan. And- It can be very difficult to fully relieve the pain, which is what most of the patients come to us for. How do we treat their pain, reduce it, and then do it safely without maybe getting them an opiate where they can abuse or, in a very small percentage of the population, divert that opiate to others?
0: Well, you mentioned earlier red flags in the case presentation, and there are multiple red flag lists to help identify patients at risks for more serious causes of their back pain. And while no list is comprehensive, there is a simple red flag list from our friend Salim
1: Razai from Rebel EM, and it's called tuna fish. Yeah, so tuna fish was the mnemonic he used, and you can find this over on Rebel EM, but the T is for trauma. U for unexplained weight loss, where you're going to be worried about things like cancer. Neurologic symptoms is the N. A for age over 50. F for fever. I for IV drug abuse. S for steroid use. And H for a history of cancer, specifically prostate, renal, breast, or lung. I really like the
0: visuals that... That Salim puts up. And, and if you don't follow him on Twitter or, or, or get access to rebel cast or rebel email, I really encourage you to do so because he really does some really nice visual stuff uh, summarizing the literature. Other things to consider would be immunocompromised patients besides just those on steroids. So think about patients with HIV, diabetic patients, alcoholics, or those patients taking biologic agents. They're at risk for things like spinal epidural abscesses,
1: discitis, or osteomyelitis. Now, when it comes to patient demands for imaging, the Choosing Wisely campaign from ASEP and from CAPE encourage emergency physicians to avoid ordering lumbar spine imaging in patients without serious underlying conditions. So, if they don't have those red flags, we probably shouldn't be getting them imaging in the emergency department.
0: Well, many different treatment modalities have been tried to treat low back pain with limited success williams et al in the lancet 2014 showed acetaminophen did not affect recovery time compared with placebo in low
1: back pain however these were not patients recruited from the emergency department Friedman et al. back in JAMA 2015 showed that adding a muscle relaxant like cyclobenzaprine or an opiate like oxycodone acetaminophen combinations to an NSAID, in this case they used naproxen, did not improve functional outcomes or pain at one week after ED presentation. Machando et al. just
0: uh, published in 2017 demonstrated in a systematic review and meta-analysis that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs did not provide clinically important effects over placebo for spine pain. Now, they included patients with acute and chronic lumbar and cervical pain. However, the point estimates for the subgroup analysis when you just looked at the acute low back pain was less than their pre-specified 10-point between-group differences considered to be clinically significant.
1: Now, what about those opiates that we mentioned before? ASAP does have some guidelines that they've worked out with the American Pain Society, and those are really dating back to 2007 on the use of opioids. They state that opioids should be reserved for severe disabling pain that is not controlled or not likely to be controlled with NSAIDs or acetaminophen. This is going to be a challenge because the data only speaks to limited efficacy for NSAIDs and acetaminophen to begin with.
0: And Swami, the issue of opioid abuse and diversion, it's a, it's a very large topic, and we're not going to go and discuss that on this episode. But ASAP has a clinical policy on prescribing opioids and specifically addresses patients with acute low back pain. And they give three Level C recommendations, and I'll put those three Level C recommendations in the blog for people to read.
1: One final thing to remember is to manage patients' expectations and not setting them up for failure. So we shouldn't tell these patients when they come in, oh, don't worry about it. I'm going to completely get rid of your pain. That's not going to happen. They need to know that, one, we're not going to get rid of their pain completely and that it's likely they're going to have persistent symptoms for weeks after presentation. Some people might only have a couple of weeks of pain, but some people can have functional impairment up to months out of their initial injury. So we need to be supportive, and we need to be realistic when we discuss the natural history of acute low back pain with our patients. So what's the clinical question? Does the addition of diazepam to naproxen in patients presenting with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular low back pain improve functional outcomes at one week? And what's the reference? So the reference is Friedman et al. Diazepam is no better than placebo when added to naproxen for acute low back pain. That was in the Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2017. All right, let's run through the PICO. What was the population? So this was adults aged 21 to 69 years of age who presented to the emergency department with acute low back pain, and that was defined as less than or equal to two weeks duration.
0: Yeah, and for low back pain, that was defined as the lower border of the scapula to the upper gluteal
1: folds. The patients had to have a functionally impairing back pain, and they rated that using the Roland Morris Disability Questionnaire, or the RMDQ. The patient's score had to be over 5, and the patient had to be discharged home.
0: And this score, the RMDQ, it's a validated 24-item tool commonly used to measure low back pain and related functional impairment. And if you get a score of 0, that represents no impairment, and 24 represents the maximum impairment. And a five-point improvement is considered clinically significant. And they had a number of exclusions, and we'll include those in the blog. How about the intervention?
1: So all the patients got Naperson 500 milligrams by mouth every 12 hours as needed for pain. So that was kind of the baseline that everyone was going to get. And then they added diazepam 5 to 10 milligrams, again orally, every 12 hours for pain as needed. Now, in addition, everybody also got a 10-minute educational intervention. And what was the comparison? So again, everyone got that naproxen. Everybody got the 10-minute educational intervention. But in the comparator group, instead of diazepam, they got one to two placebo pills that they could take every 12 hours as needed for pain.
0: All right, let's talk about the outcomes. What was the primary outcome?
1: So primary outcome was improvement in the RMDQ score between emergency department discharge and one-week follow-up. And how about the secondary outcome? So secondary outcome, again, an important one, pain intensity at one week and three months measured on a four-point descriptive scale. So the author's conclusions were, Among ED
0: patients with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular, low back pain, naproxen plus diazepam did not improve functional outcomes or pain compared with naproxen plus placebo one week and three months after discharge. All right, Swami, let's go through that quality checklist for randomized clinical trials. And, you know, this one goes to 11. So the, oh, first always. Que- <laughs> always. the first question, the study population, did it include or focus on those in the emergency department? It did. And did they adequately randomize
1: the patients? They did. Randomization was in blocks of four according to a random number generator. Did they conceal the randomization? They did. ED pharmacists made up the
0: pills in an area that ED personnel couldn't access. And did they do an intention-to-treat analysis?
1: They absolutely did. And the study patients, were they recruited consecutively? Yes, but the inclusion here, and we'll talk about this more, wasn't all that inclusive.
0: And were the patients in both groups similar with respect to prognostic factors? So I believe not. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Were all participants, and that means the patients, the clinicians, and the outcome assessors, were they unaware of group allocation?
1: I'm not 100% sure on this one from my reading of the manuscript, but I think they all were.
0: All right. How about all groups? Were they treated equally except for the intervention? They were.
1: How was their follow-up? You know, the follow-up was pretty good here. We're always shooting for about 80%. Here, the follow-up was 98% for the primary outcome of the RMDQ at one week. And for the secondary outcome of pain at one week, the follow-up was 91%. And this was the same for the pain intensity at one week and three months. All patient important outcomes, were they considered? You know, initially I thought it wasn't, but then you look at the RMDQ a little closer and it's a pretty comprehensive assessment of functionality. So I think this was a good measure to use. So I would say yes. All right. And the final question, the treatment effect, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Oh, it's always that 11th question that gets you, isn't it, Ken? It is. Well, no. In this case, there was no clinical significant difference. All right. Let's go through those
0: key results. Over 500 patients were screened for enrollment, but only 114 patients were included based on the inclusion criteria. The mean age was in the
1: mid-30s, and about 55% were men. The primary outcome? There was no improvement in functional outcome when adding diazepam to naproxen for patients with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular low back pain. And both the
0: naproxen and the naproxen plus diazepam group improved by 11 points on the
1: RMDQ. And when we look at that secondary outcome, again, the outcomes were comparable between the two groups. There wasn't a significant difference in pain intensity at either one week or three months, depending on which group they were assigned to. We'll throw a table on the blog so people
0: can look at the outcomes in more detail. But let's talk a little nerdy, one of my favorite sections. And how many points do I have? Well, let's see. One, two, three. I'm going to go with five. You have five points to get into. You are right on the mark. So number one was inclusion and exclusion. Almost 80% of the patients that were approached for this study for enrollment were not enrolled. The inclusion criteria were quite narrow, so the results really only pertain to a specific subset of acute back pain
1: patients presenting to the emergency department. Number two on our list of Talking Nerdy was recall bias. Many of the inclusion-exclusion criteria are susceptible to recall bias, and of course, these patients are being talked about a week later to find out how their RMDQ is, how they're doing, how much meds they've taken. All of this is subject to recall bias.
0: The third point was the patient population itself, and the study took place in one urban healthcare system that had two hospitals, and they served a socioeconomically depressed population, and socioeconomic factors may be associated with back pain outcomes,
1: Absolutely. And number four on our list was prognostic factors. And we discussed this a little bit earlier. Patients in the diazepam arm were more likely to be unemployed. And that is a known factor when we think about recovery from back pain. In this group, we saw that 11 patients in the diazepam group, or 19%, were unemployed versus 3 or 5% in the group that didn't get diazepam. Now, those are small numbers, but they're still pretty different.
0: And the fifth and final thing that we wanted to talk about in the talk nerdy section was the participants may have been unblinded in the diazepam group. They reported how many patients were dizzy or tired, quote, a lot, which was not different. However, it's not clear how many patients responded, quote, a little. And the the side effects of diazepam may not have been great enough for the patient to report being dizzy or tired a lot and reported as an adverse event, but it may have been enough to know that they were getting diazepam. And one way researchers can investigate the integrity of their blinding is just to ask the patients, hey, which group do you think you were assigned? That being said, you would think any bias would have been in favor of the treatment group. Because there was not a difference found between the groups, it makes me believe the results even more. Well, that's the talk nerdy section. How about we comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusion.
1: You know, can we generally agree with the author's conclusions? Now, the authors did a really nice job with the way that they structured the title of the article telling us the answer. We think they did a pretty good job, and we agree with their conclusions. Well, how about an SGM bottom line? Based on the best available data, it does not appear that diazepam should be routinely added to an NSAID for outpatient management of acute non-traumatic low back pain. All right,
0: let's resolve that case of that woman who came in with the back pain and was looking to go home.
1: Based on this data and previous work from the same group on the absence of significant benefits of opiates in acute non-traumatic back pain, I would prescribe the patient naproxen and acetaminophen for pain, make sure they have appropriate follow-up, and instruct the patient to stay active.
0: And how about clinical application of this study?
1: Well, again, I think the addition of diazepam to naproxen does not appear to improve acute non-traumatic low back pain outcomes. While adverse events were not significantly increased, the absence of benefit should limit this practice. Further multi-center data validating these results would be very helpful. So Swami, what are you going to tell at the patient's bedside? Well, this is always the hardest part, Ken. What do you tell the patient, especially when we have so little to offer that's been proven to improve the patient's pain? So what I tell them is, I understand you've got a considerable amount of pain, and we're going to give you some medications that may bring your pain down a bit but it's unlikely that we're going to be able to get rid of it completely. No matter what we do, it's likely that you'll continue to have this pain over the next couple of weeks or even months. What we're going to do is make sure there isn't a dangerous cause of that pain, and then we're going to come up with a plan to help you manage it. The key after discharge is going to be to stay active and moving around so that that pain doesn't worsen.
0: Well, it's time for the Keener Contest, and last week's winner was... Andrew Schuling, an E.M. resident from Henry Ford Hospital. He knew women were excluded from the attached to trial if they had a child within the last thirty days. Swami, what's the keener question this week?
1: So the question that we've got this week is that low back pain is often called lumbago. What is the etymology of this word? Ooh, good
0: question. All right. There are some other FOMED resources available on this topic, and I'll put the links in the show notes. Well, hey, thanks very much for coming back on the SGM Swami. It's been way too long, Ken, and I'm looking forward to doing more with you. Yeah, we've got to do it again soon. I just want to give a a quick uh, conference update. I'm going to be at the Talk Trauma Conference in London, Ontario, April 5th, with superstar nurse Brenda Palsa, and we're going to be talking... Tales from the Outer Rim. And then I'm heading down to Orlando with my friend Chris Carpenter, and we're going to be at the Emergency Medicine and Critical Care Conference April 12th to 15th. Then I'm off to our nation's capital in Ottawa for the Canadian Agency for Drug and Technology and Healthcare Symposium, and that's April 23rd to 25th. And I'm going to be doing a plenary with some other speakers, and it's measuring value in theory and the real world. And then there's SAEM. That's the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine. Hey, guess what, Swami? I'm not going to that one, believe it or not.
1: That's, a, that's in <laughs> May. Travel. Yeah, that's May 16th to 18th in Orlando. Are you going to that one? You no, know, I'm not going to be making it either. I'm going to be heading out to Vegas for the Essentials of Emergency Medicine Conference, one of my favorites every year. And it just happens to run the exact same time as SAM. So can't do both, unfortunately. You can't
0: do everything. And then you know what one I'm really looking forward to? You know I'm looking forward to all of them, but I'm going to Costa Rica for the Inter American Conference of Emergency Medicine, May 23rd to 25th, and I'm going to be talking nerdy and some EBM with my good friend, Manrique, who does the Spanish version of gem Global. Pura Vida, Manrique, Pura Vida.
1: Sounds like a great trip, and Manrique is such a great guy, so that's going to be a ton of fun.
0: Oh, and it's going to be a lot of coffee, good coffee too. All right. Oh, yeah. uh, hey, Swami, can you give the tagline?
1: Absolutely. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time.